You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Um, there was a song growing up that, that, that I kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm a child of the 80s and 70s, but it was by uh, good old Willie Nelson, and probably not written by Willie and Waylon, but it was sung by him. It's called, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. And I, uh, I kind of adjusted that to, Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboy Fans. Okay, because, you know... Uh, see, it's hard for some, if you're from Savannah, this is hard for you, I know, because your closest sports team, uh, professional, is four hours away. And, you know, and they're kind of, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are kind of a, you know, like a junior college team anyway. Um, and, you know, no one roots for the Jaguars. So, I mean, just, so really, I, I, you know, I know you don't understand this, but when you grow up in a culture of just like a sports city, even though they stink, it just becomes part of who you are. Right? I mean, I have buddies from Chicago, and like, as soon as they're walking, their family is ingraining in them, you are a Chicago White Sox. You do not like the Cubs. I don't care if they're a mile away. I have, I have friends from New York. You got to choose at a young age. Choose this day who you will serve. Yankees, Mets. Giants, Jets. It's just the way it is. So growing up in Philly, since we only had one of every franchise, it, it's just the way it was. You, you, you either rooted, you, you bled green or red and white or whatever, or you just were kicked out of your house. That's just the way it was. And so um, that's just it's part of who I am. It's ingrained in my soul, and you guys know that. Just, and don't worry, I have no hopes of us winning tonight, just in case you were thinking we're going to get... But anyway, I'm still clinging to last year. I'm all right there. Um, but, but see, here's the thing. I haven't lived in the North since I was really 18 years old. Even, and when I moved to Dallas and we were there for three years, I tried my hardest. I tried to root for the Texas Rangers. I figured it's American League. It's not the same league. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. I'd go to games and root for no one to win. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks were great there. Steve Nash and all those guys were there. Couldn't root for them. Just couldn't do it. Couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, just, I'm just that faithful. I'm just that, that, that loyal to my team, right? This is the way it is. But here's my big challenge. My family has never really lived together, our kids anyway, in the north, right? And I've done my best. I have tried, I have tried to ingrain that same passion because there's a couple things that come with being a Philly fan. Number one, you boo everybody, including the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus. You boo them all. It doesn't matter. We boo the Super Bowl champ. We'll boo it all. That's one thing. The other thing is there's a, there's a just a de- detestation for anybody else that's not your team. So Washington Redskins, hate them. New York Giants despise. Dallas Cowboys won't even say their name, hardly. Right? It's just, it's just the way it is. And so I've tried to ingrain that, but here's my fear. My children are going to go off, they're going to go off to school, go off, get jobs. What happens if they move to Atlanta, Georgia? What happens if they become a Braves fan? <laughs> or worse, what if they move to Texas? I know. And they, and they actually like the Dallas Cow. What, what would that do to my soul? Right? How could, I, how could I handle if they betray the faith in that way? Right? And, and really, that's a, in, a, in a funny way, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today as we jump into Judges chapter 2. How can we grow, keep our babies from going up, me and cowboy fans? Right? How do we pass on that, that passion and that following of our king... To the, to, to, the, to the next generation. 
right? So, so that we're impacting beyond this. We started last week a new series on the book of Judges. And uh, we called it, uh, Everyone Needs a King. Because what we saw is that the, the theme of this book was, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? And, so, and that's very similar to kind of where we're living at now, right? That, that everyone just kind of does what they want to do. I'm in charge. I'll live my life. And we, as followers of Jesus the King, we need to know what does it look like to follow the King in a culture that doesn't want a King, that says no King. We'll root for the Cowboys if we want to root for the Cowboys, right? And so we've been kind of, we're going to work our way through the next couple months and talk about that. But we really want to see how today, how do we pass that, that following and that love and that faithfulness to our King uh, onto the next generation? So we're going to look at that as we look at Judges chapter 2. And we're just going to cover seven verses today, verses 6 through 13. And kind of a review from last week if you weren't here, and we'll kind of review this as we go through. The book of Judges is, is the sequel to the book of Joshua, right? And Joshua is like a, a, a high note book. It ends on a high note. It, you know, it ends with them all kind of being victorious, and they're saying, uh, choose this day who you will serve. We're going to serve God. And everyone's like, yes, we're going to. So it's like, it's like the first Star Wars movie. It ends on a high note. Death Star's blown up. Luke Skywalker's a hero. But then Judges is like the Empire Strike Back. Everything falls apart. Han Solo is in kryptonite. Luke loses his hand. We don't know what's going on, right? It goes from a high note real quick to a low note that everyone does what is right in his own eyes, right? And so what we've seen, and the reason we study Old Testament books like this is because Paul said that these are given for our instruction, Romans 15, 4, so that we, so that we will have hope. Because it doesn't have to be that way for us. We want to be a people of hope. We don't want to be a people, oh, woe is me. We come in here and we're all depressed. No, we learn from them so that we have hope. And we can learn from their mistakes and say, okay, we don't have to do, we don't have to go into this cycle like they do, right? They fell, but we don't have to. And, and, that's, and that's, that's why we study books like this. One of the things I love about our church, especially the early service too, is we're starting to see some gray hair in our church, Right? And, and it's not just because some of y'all are getting older, although you are. We're starting to see some shiny heads too, but that's another story, right? Uh, we, we, a couple, if you looked at our church eight, ten years ago, it was a bunch of young, young folks. But we have some gray hair now, which is awesome because we need your wisdom and we need your, uh, you know, your insight and your, and your resources because you're in a season of life where you, just, you have a lot more flexibility and freedom. So I love that about our church. It's huge, but I still love the fact that we have a ton of young folks. In fact, just doing the metrics on our church, under, the under 22 crowd in our church is literally one third of our church. All right, so we have about in both services, fifth grade and under, about 225-ish, 220 in that, in that wing over there, which is why, by the way, we just need, <laughs> need some of y'all because there's just, it's just a lot and we don't like closing rooms just because we don't have enough people, but sometimes we have to. But 220 there, we have 50 or so middle schoolers. We got probably, we got 72 high schoolers, I think that's the last number, going to camp next week, right? Which is higher than we've even had summer school, summer camps before. So, you know, 100 there. And then college, we had 100 college students in that room on Thursday night, kicking it off. I mean, and that's not counting the, the okay, right out of college and the young singles and the, and the young marrieds. So we have a, at least a third, maybe more, of our church that is that next generation, and it is a huge opportunity for us. It's a great opportunity for us so that we can let, not let our babies grow up to be cowboys, right? 
And, and I've reminded you before, and this is so important for us to keep, keep in, our, in, our, in the forefront of our mind. A church goes through stages as it kind of develops and it ages, right? And it can go from a life to death just like that. And kind of four common stages we talk about, and I've shared them before, is there's that, when the church starts, it's that, that movement stage where it's just real small and there's a core team, but everyone's engaged and everyone's excited, and it's really messy, but it's just fun, and everyone's kind of setting up and doing things. This is our Johnny Harris days when we're setting up every day, and we're just like literally 13 minutes for worship practice, and we're like, okay, that's good enough, right? Uh, and there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of excitement, and as it grows, we get into that movement stage, excuse me, mission stage, where you got more people, so you have more resources, you can do more than you were able to do before, there's still a lot of excitement, there's still a lot of uh, pressing on, but there's, we're just seeing a lot of things happen, and that, that's where we want to stay, because if you don't, you move to that next stage, which is the monument stage, right, where now we're playing defense more than we're moving on offense. Now we're talking about what, what used to be more than, than what's coming, Right? You go from a, an eagerness to a, just a routine. Right? It's, it's just about maintaining the status quo at this point. So it's more about what we used to do. And so you look in the closets and there's, there's VBS gear from the 80s. And we can't, we can't throw that out because remember Miss Joni? Miss Joni made that back in 1970. And Miss Joni, yeah, Miss Joni's in heaven. She doesn't care. But it's all about that. Right? We, we don't want to get to that point. And if you stay in that stage long enough, you go to the mausoleum stage. A mausoleum is for dead people. And there's just no life. Now there's no, you know, kids are annoying. It's more, more important. Who's been here the longest? You've got to put in your dues. Right? There's no energy. There's no future. The most exciting thing is the new recipe that, that somebody made for the mac and cheese for the potluck. Oh, did you see what they did there? That's the exciting thing. Right? And you can go from mission to mausoleum just like this. And Israel had become that. If we're not thinking about, okay, what do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we move? How do we, how do we act? How do we impact? How do we keep going? Because, because we can go from this to dead soon. And, and it's, live churches are churches that are constantly adapting. And there's change. Not change of doctrine, but maybe change is how we think about things, how we do things. Right? Live churches have lots of noisy kids. Dead churches have... Shh, better to be seen than not heard, right? Live churches move out in faith. Dead churches move only by sight. Live churches are filled with, with givers and, and dead churches are consumers, right? Live churches are evangelizing. Dead churches are fossilizing. And so we wanna stay in that mission mode. We wanna see our babies not grow up to be cowboys. So let's talk about how being alive. Because y'all, Jesus' church is, is for live people, it's, it's for people who have hope, right? It's not, it's not a mausoleum. The tomb is empty. And so this needs to be a live people who are excited about what is God doing so we can boom, we can move. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that today because Israel had done this, we wanna do this, right? So let's jump in, chapter two, verse six. Chapter one, we saw Israel compromise. We saw them kind of slide into that and it's gonna end up in their uh, downfall. But chapter two, verse six, it says, when Joshua dismissed the people... 
He dismissed the people. The people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. So it's kind of a recap, all right? It's going back to before chapter one. He's kind of summarizing. So Joshua is still alive at this point, and it says he, he dismisses the people. They all go off into their, their allotted territory. Their job is to finish the job, driving out the inhabitants. It's because these people, y'all, were so wicked. They were sacrificing their kids, and, and they were worshiping these false gods and, and doing all these wicked things, and God knew that they would be influencing his people, and he was trying to protect them. So it's their job to go, to go break, and so they kind of go off their land, and we saw that they failed in that, but it says this, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done from Israel. Notice that, that first kind of part of that verse. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the, outlived, of the elders who outlived them. That's a great statement that millions of people spread out under over hundreds of miles in different locations, no email, no phone calls, they still were faithful and they followed God all the time while Joshua was alive and those who survived Joshua. See, that's the impact that one guy had on this nation, just one guy. And how, how many of us, if you look back in your life, maybe it's a short life, maybe it's, maybe it's a long life, have had that one person, that one couple, that one individual that just had huge impact and influence? Maybe it was a young life leader, a, a coach from your high school days. It's, he's in his 70s now, you're in your 40s. Maybe it was a grandparent, an uncle, a dad, a mom, a Sunday school teacher, a college professor who just, man, they just impacted you. And you look back and like, that was huge. It's, it's for, for me, I mean, there's, there's obviously individuals in my life, but I still, and I've shared this before, it's just because it's such a, it's just such ingrained in my mind of, if you ask me, what kind of, who do you want to be most like as a pastor? You know, you want to be like John Piper? I don't want to be like John Piper. I don't even understand John Piper half the time, right? You want to be like Matt Chandler? Do you want to be like, who do you want to, I would say, I want to be like Bob Abag. And no one knows Bob Abag. Some of you have recognized his name because I mentioned before. He was the pastor of our little church in Dallas, Texas when I was in seminary. It was 50, 60 person church when we joined it, mostly gray hair. Um, I can still picture he's a bald head, sharp dude. I mean, super smart guy, seminary level smart guy. And he had this little Bible, he had it for 20 years and he'd open it up and it was all rattered and torn. I could still see him opening it up and he'd always have this smile on his face and his goal was every Sunday just to encourage his people that they walked away, even if you're talking about sin, that he would encourage his people. And he would tell me, because I, I went into this fire and brimstone, you know, I'm gonna, you know, alliteration guy and I'm gonna, and he was, but my goal is that people would walk away. He's like, I feel like Bill, that the New Testament is written mostly to encourage the people of God. So that's my goal on a Sunday. And I saw him walk through tragedy in his life and I saw him, scraped by on a small church pastor salary, and I saw him uh, just love his flock well in obscurity in Dallas, Texas, where there's mega churches everywhere. That had an impact. I still think about him. He's ironically a cowboy fan too, which is really weird, right? But here's what I want you to know this morning. Never underestimate the impact just one person can have. Just one person. Obscure, great, whatever. Never underestimate, right? Because if we're not gonna be, if we're not gonna become a mausoleum, here's, here's what you gotta get. It begins with you. Starts with you. Starts with me, right? 
And, and I know that in a church this size, and you look around, and you're like, well, I'm, I'm kind of not important. You got all these people, right? And, you know, and that person's certainly a better singer than me. That person's more gifted than me. They have a better pedigree. They've been a Christian longer. They know what they're doing. They, they're kind of smarter than me. They got all these gifts. Here is the beauty of the book of Judges. God uses, you're gonna see it in the next couple of weeks, the most outrageous reject people that he can possibly use to save his people. As, if, as I study the life of Joshua, there's, there's nothing ultimately special about Joshua. He doesn't have like some mega gifts. I mean, certainly he was a good leader, but you don't, he doesn't have some great pedigree. He's not from the tribe of Judah that's gonna be the king. He's, he's from Ephraim, okay, it's an average tribe. But he doesn't have some like mega parents that were famous. In fact, it says he didn't have parents. He was Joshua, verse eight, the son of Nun, right? There you go. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, see. At least you're awake. That's, yeah. He gets scared just like we get scared. In fact, God has to constantly tell him, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, be strong, which means he's not always. He has, he's got struggles with God. When, when they get defeated at AI, he goes to God like, God, what's going on? I thought you were going to do this. He gets disappointed. He's just like you and I. He's just a normal guy, just like Elijah was a man, just of the nature like ours, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it doesn't. Just a normal guy, right? Just like you and me. Starts with us. And I think if he's had to say, well, what's Joshua's secret? Besides the fact that God said, I will be with you wherever you go, that's a big secret. <laughs> that's a big strength. But very simply, Joshua, when God spoke, he just said, okay, got it. In fact, if you read the book of Joshua, 13 times it says the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came to Joshua. And every time he goes, okay, boom, boom, boom. So God says, I want you to just take all the people of Israel, millions of people, just start walking towards the flooded Jordan plain, all that water and mud and marsh. Okay, he does. Jordan River. I want you to walk around Jericho. For six days, I want you to want one time, don't talk. Seventh day, go seven times and then blow your trumpets. Okay. I want you to go into that, that, that battle where you were outnumbered and outgunned and, and just trust me. Okay. And then he's just started, he, Joshua prayed great big things. He prayed one time that the sun would stop. I'm praying the sun comes out. He prayed the sun would stop because he was winning the battle and he knew that if the sun goes down, the people would get away. God stopped the sun for this brother. I mean, I don't even have the faith to pray the sun would stop. Do you? But he just, God spoke, he did it. He just, he just trusted God. And, and here's what you, we gotta see, that victory and impact and influence of these things, it's not, it's not human wisdom or human gifts or any of that stuff. It is the presence of a faithful God. And I don't, want us to, I don't want us to be what I typically see in the church, a bunch of victims. <laughs> look at me, bad me, look what I did, look what my family did, I failed again. We, we, we are all these victims that feel sorry for ourselves. We need to move from victim to victor because God says he always leads us in the procession of victory. We have a victorious savior who says he always, he always is gonna be there. So you don't have to be like, well, I don't have the gifts. Yeah, you don't. Who cares? We're going to see in two weeks, we got a guy who's a major reject. He's left-handed, right? <laughs> Sorry, you lefties. You'll, you'll understand what we're talking about. In that culture, it was huge. And God uses him greatly. We're going to see Gideon, who's, who, who God sees him as a mighty warrior, and he's hiding. He's hiding in a wine press because he's scared. 
It's, it's not about your weakness or your, your anything. It's about your God. And so it starts with us. And I'm not saying you're gonna go out and lead the nation. Don't get me all, oh, I have to go out and lead a corporation. No, we just, you just need to see that it be, the, the scope that God has you in, maybe it's your little family, maybe it's your little company, maybe it's your community group, maybe it's that group of ladies, maybe it's your high school soccer team, maybe it's you and your roommates or your sweet mates, but God has put you there in his providence on purpose so that you'll be an influencer and an impactor. And you don't have to be sorry and oh, woe is me. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? This is great, right? One man that is committed to following his king can have an enormous difference in the light of others. One woman who is living her life following Jesus could be a huge blessing to a whole group of people. And we need to see that it starts with you, right? And, and here's another thing I thought about. Because some of us are like, well, you know, I remember when so-and-so was here and, and they used to do this and it was the good old days and that's not happening anymore. And that's true because God moves people away and God does different things and that's great. So if you're thinking about, well, it was so great when so-and-so was doing this and it's not happening anymore, you know what that means? Maybe you need to be the one that does what so-and-so did. Right? Maybe you, okay, that person God move away. Okay, maybe you step in now and you do the same thing because God's doing a new thing in this season. Let's just not be, oh, woe is me. Let's start to see, let's start asking God, here's my sphere, here's what you've given me. You put me at SCAD, you put me at home, you put me at the hospital, you put me at, at Armstrong, or no, George Southern, sorry, rest in peace, Armstrong, right? Whatever. What do you, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? That's where we got to start, right? That's what Joshua is. It starts with you. Let's keep going on. Joshua, I mean, verse eight. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. Very unique phrase, by the way, the Old Testament for, for special guys who just really went after it hard. The servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath Haris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaza. So he, he passes away, he dies, right? And then here's verse 10 key. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So the folks that kind of came behind him that were a little bit younger, him and Caleb were the two old guys, and that next generation who were in the wilderness with him, they passed away too. And here's the key phrase. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't grow up in Philly. They grew up somewhere else. They didn't know the Lord. And so what does that phrase mean? It doesn't mean that they didn't have the facts. Okay, it doesn't, doesn't mean they don't have the information. That's not, the word no, yada in the Hebrew, it's a intimate knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's used of a husband and wife's physical relationship. It's a, it's a deeper than the head thing. So these folks, they grew up, they heard about the Red Sea and they heard about the, the snake on a pole and they heard about coming out of Egypt. They, they knew the great Shema and they knew the name of the Lord and they knew all the facts, but they didn't know him in an experiential way. They know about him, they didn't know him. They were informed, they weren't impacted, right? It's kind of like this, so many of you know, if you know me, uh, uh, kind of that World War II history fascinates me. So I read a ton about, I read, I read bios, I've watched about every World War II movie, you know, the bridge over the River Kwai and the longest day. I've watched Band of Brothers like a thousand times, right? You know, I've read all the bios of all those guys of easy So I know a, a, a good amount about about World War II. I know a good amount about the, the Battle of Bastogne, the Battle of the Bud, the Bulge, right? That, that 
you know, where the Germans, they broke through and, and you know, the, the 101st was surrounded in Bastogne and, and you can watch, you know, Band of Brothers, you want to talk about it. But I, I know all about the facts and how Patton's army came in and, and, and all, how they defeated them and it was cloudy and it was cold and all. I know all these things. But you know what? I don't know what it was like to be freezing in the worst winter in years, being underprepared, not having enough ammunition, being scared, being hungry. I don't know what it was like to see my buddies die, lose their, their limbs, to wonder if we were ever gonna get out of here. I don't, I don't know what that was like because I wasn't there. I didn't experience it for myself. That's the difference, right? These, this generation, they knew about, but they didn't experience Right? They didn't, they didn't have an experiential relationship with the same God. Right? That, that's what we're talking about. Right? They heard about the Red Sea and they heard about the water, but they didn't get to walk through on dry land and smell the salt air and look at the sharks and be like, look at that. They didn't, they didn't get to, they heard about God giving the law on the mountain, but they didn't stand down there in the valley and see that thing, earthquakes and, and thunder and Moses come down and his face is all glowing. They, they heard about manna in the wilderness, but they didn't get to go and every morning and scoop it out of the ground and put it in a bowl and taste the sweet bread that God had given them and go catch quail at night. They heard about the walls of Jericho falling, but they weren't there. They didn't see the crumbling and the cracks and all of a sudden it falls and the dust is on their face and on their, on their clothes. They heard about Moses kind of having his arms lifted up by two men because he couldn't hold them up and they were winning the battle when they went up. But they weren't in that battle. They weren't looking up to see if Moses' arms were up to know we were winning, right? It, it, it wasn't something that they had experienced. It was something they heard about. And if we're gonna go from a uh, stay on mission and if there's gonna be an impact, then, then, then we gotta get beyond just the facts, Right? We, we can't just be about the knowledge and about the intellect and about the, the lists. It's not just about knowing about God. We have to be a people who actually know God. Now, does that require certain facts and education? Yes. We're going to teach about who God is, and we're going to teach about what the gospel, the good news, you hear that word, is that Christ died for sinners and rose again. Right? There's, there's an educational piece, but, but Christianity, y'all, is not just a list of things that we all say, uh-huh, that's true. It's, it's understanding what that is and then connecting the dots to our lives so that we know and, ex- I love that Ethan even used this in his language when he encouraged us this morning. It's a, there's an experience to it, right? It's, it's, it's not just, oh, I heard about God bringing manna. It's, you know what? I have seen God in my own life. When there was no manna in the closet, God provided some manna. There was a check in the mail. There was his provision over here. I've seen it. I've experienced it, right? It's not just like I heard about being brought out of bondage, being brought out of Egypt. And No, I experienced God delivering me. For I was enslaved to this sin and this addiction, and I saw God rescue me. It's experience. I I've, I've, didn't just hear about God you know, bringing water from a rock. I've, I've been refreshed myself. I was depressed and I was, I was anxious and I was struggling and I just, the presence of God just overwhelmed me with his people or with this or with that and his spirit just came upon me and I was refreshed. I actually got to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not just something I heard about. And that, that needs to be 
true of us. I'm not saying we go seeking experience. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is when you have a relationship with the living God, the omniscient, omnipotent God, King of the universe, you cannot walk with him and not experience his work. You just can't. It's not just a bunch of facts. It's not about agreeing to a, a certain amount of, of, of agreeing, agreeable theology. Right? The difference is for between these two groups is in one of them, you see that they experienced, verse seven, they, it says they, they saw the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Right? They saw it, they were part of that. Verse 10, the second generation, they did not know the Lord or the work. They didn't have that in their own lives, right? It's, it's huge. It's getting beyond the facts. And I, and I know we have folks, this is the South, right? So you, you're, oh, you know, I've been in church, that church my whole life, and my grandpappy was a preacher, and my mama was on the mission field, and, and that's great. But I don't want us to think just because you know a bunch of facts that you know Jesus is king. Because Jesus himself says, in the last days, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. They call him Lord, which means they got good theology. They acknowledge him as God. You're God. You're the son of God. Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do this? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we? And he says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Right? That, that, that's where we don't want to be. And so we got to go beyond the mechanics and the Christianese and the, the jumping through the Christian hoops and experiencing the work of God in our own lives. Right? It's not God used to speak. God, God used, no, he's still speaking to you. He's still impressing upon your heart. His spirit is in you, Christians. And he, and he leads and he guides and he gives you truth and he impresses upon your heart and he uses his word. To, but you gotta be listening. You gotta be seeking him. It's not that he used to answer prayers. He still answered prayers. I think it's important for you to, to actually, and I've started doing this this week, is just kind of writing little things I'm praying for down so that I can see Oh, yeah, and, and remember, nothing's little for God. I mean, I could pray that I'm gonna be the next you know, senator from Georgia. I'm not. But that's not a little. I mean, it's being big to me. I mean, that's not big. That's, for God, what's, what's, what's little? What's big? Right? He, I, God used to be able to be trusted, but not anymore. God used to rescue and redeem and change people. No, no, he's still doing that. And so we wanna be a people who, we're not just talking about what God used to do or what my grandfather did. This is what God is doing in my life. This is why, y'all, I'm so... I love the high school retreat for the high school students. I love that there's 72 of our high schoolers getting out of Dodge next week, right? And they're gonna take their phones, which is awesome, right? And they're gonna just let them have undistracted time with each other, and they're gonna have some leaders that are gonna love on them and have been praying for them, and are just gonna kind of let the spirit move on them. And I'm praying it snows because Talava doesn't want snow, right? But I... It's a great opportunity for them to get out and just let God work. Let God, the Holy Spirit, move and draw and, and do things in their life. Who knows? And I, I do have to ask you guys to pray this week for them because this could be a, a monument in these folks' lives where they come to know Jesus this weekend, 17, 18 years old. It could be awesome. And Talavo and his team do such a good job and, and the stuff they're gonna teach and encourage them with. But that's, I want them to experience that. So they can go back and say, man, that was awesome. I remember that. Uh, God just kind of moved in my life there, 
right? For us as a church, it's gonna be huge for us. And the culture we live in, I'm not anti-apologetics, I'm not down on apologetics, anything, but apologetics without relationship is, is a bunch of facts. In fact, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who I've mentioned before, she's got a new book coming out. It might even be out now. I haven't read it, and I, the, the, the title of it actually intrigues me. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, and, I, and it's just about Christian hospitality. We have to be the most hospitable people in Savannah because that gives you a platform where people feel cared for and loved. And then, and then you have the opportunity to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. I mean, even Jesus says, you gotta, you gotta shine. You gotta be salt. We talked about this in front of them. They need to see that this God actually impacts the way you think and talk and move and how you treat others and how you treat your money and how you treat your kids and how you treat your spouse, how you treat your employees. They need to see that because that is gonna be your apologetic. And then you can tell them about this king who you love. That's, it's so vital for us, right? It's vital in our homes. And again, I'm, I am as broken of a dad as any of y'all could ever imagine. Just because I'm on this stage, I promise you, you can ask any of my kids, I'm the chief sinner in my house. You need to know that. I'm not, I'm not super dad, I'm not super husband, I'm neither, or none. Um, but we need to be diligent as much as we can just to be walking with God in our homes and following him there. Right, and trusting and praying for our kids and praying for our spouse and, and praying for impact there. When I graduated from seminary, we had Josh McDowell speak at our graduation. And for those in the, you know, you've been in Christianity for a while, you know Josh McDowell's kind of, he's a great Christian apologist. It's kind of his deal. And he, and he works with high school, or used to work with high school students and Campus Crusade. But he told all of us this, and, it was, and I wrote it down and I still remember it. I don't remember anything else from seminary pretty much, but I remember this. He said, if you wanna impact the next generation, and even your kids, especially. He says, just ask these three questions. And these are big. And he's t- talking from a dad's perspective, but he told us, he said, if you can tell your kids and they can answer yes to these questions, do you know that I love your mother? Um, do you know that I love you? And when you're married, do you want what me and your mother have? He says, and if you, if you can get yeses on those, he said, they're moldable and they're pliable and you'll impact and your babies won't grow up to be cowboys. And we were in Dallas, right? And, and, and the, my point in there is not to make us feel like, oh, my point is even the great apologist who knows all the facts and can tell you about the Dead Sea Scrolls says that impact comes through relationship. And so we just need to be highly relational. We don't need to be program driven, we need to be people driven, right? That, that's where we wanna land, right? So if we wanna not be a mausoleum, we wanna stay on mission, it starts with y'all and me. And they gotta get beyond just the facts, right? And there's one more thing, verse 11. And so the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, they served the Baals. And we'll come back to this next week. They abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the other gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger and they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asheroth. And so what you see, and, and kind of the language, something that stood out to me when I read through this a couple times was they abandoned the God of their fathers. It's, it's, it's not their God, it's their daddy's God. It's their father's God. 
who, who brought them, notice it says it brought them out of the land of Egypt. They were enslaved for 400 years, right? How do you forget that? How do you forget the deliverance of God from slavery, right? And this is the very thing, by the way, forgetting, this is what, what God had told them several times over not to do. Let me go to uh, Deuteronomy 4 says, where God's telling the people, he says, take care Keep your soul diligent, lest you forget the things your eye have seen, and that lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. He's saying, don't forget what I did. In, in Deuteronomy 6, a few chapters later, he says, when the Lord brings you into land that you swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you with great and good cities you did not build, houses full of good things you did not fill, cisterns you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees you did not plant, and when you eat them and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you in the land. And Israel's now in this land, and they're living in these cities they didn't build. They just took over someone's house, and they got vineyards, and they got wells they didn't have to dig. And they're all these blessings that God has given them. And they forget that it's God who did it. They forget that they were enslaved, that he rescued them. They forget. And so here's the last thing for us is, what's the opposite of forget? It's remember. And so we just want to be a people who remember and are thankful. They, were, they, didn't, they weren't thankful. So they forgot. God gave them all these things. How many things has God just lavished on us as people? And we just are like, eh, forget. Forget. We don't remember. You drove a car here today. You know, there's people all over the world that have to walk to church like 12 miles or ride a bike. You're like, man, this car stinks. I need a different car. We just... The, the more affluent we get, the, the more thankless we get. And so one of the ways that we are impacting and influencing is that we remember and we're thankful. And the point of remembering, one of the things that we did this year, my wife instigated this, it was awesome. We just sat around the table on New Year's Day. And she asked the question, what was your favorite thing from this past year? Favorite thing we did. We got all, all sorts of things, going to the lake and you know, going to SeaWorld, you know, all these different things. And we got to laugh and talk about different little things. But the point was, just, was not only just so we could say, that was awesome, let's talk about that, and that's good, but it wasn't just so we can turn into a monument and, oh, the good old days when we went to the lake. No, it's, that was awesome. I can't wait till this year till we go back to this. And maybe this year we're gonna do that too. We look back and are thankful because we know the best is still yet to come. Last year we did this. This year we're gonna do that. Last year was great, but maybe this year we'll do this. And that's the idea of remembering, right? The best is still yet to come. Christianity is a faith where the best is yet to come. Our, our future, and so we should be looking back, yes, so that we look forward. And God is constantly telling us, remember, don't forget this, that, and the other. And in the New Testament church, he specifically, Jesus gave us two things that point to the same event that are to drive us to constantly remember. He gave us baptism and he gave us the table. Baptism, which pictures what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The table, which pictures the same thing. The body of Christ, the blood. Why? Because he's pointing us back to the most important thing that God so loved the world, so loved you that he gave his only son. And he wants us to constantly remember it. Not so we can be like, ooh, because that drives 
so much in our lives. It's not just nostalgia. We look back on this great love and what Christ has and his, him meeting our greatest need. Why? Because you're studying for the MCAT and you're nervous. Am I gonna pass it? Am I gonna do good in the SATs? Am I gonna pass organic chem? Am I gonna get out of high school? And you're all worried about this and you have this need. God met your greatest need here. He can help you pass the MCAT, right? And you go back to that. I don't even know what the MCAT is, all right? I was a PE major, but I think it's a hard test. <laughs> You're worried about money. I got kids going to college and in private school and all these things. I'm worried about money. God paid your biggest debt, the equivalent of bazillions. He can take care of UGA. Now, it may be tight, maybe this and that. He can help you with that if he met your biggest debt. Right, you got relational conflict and, and your spouse and you, are, you know, there's, it's a, a season of this and you and your teenagers, it's a season of this and, and you and your roommate and you know, you're like, you can't wait till the end of the semester. The biggest, the biggest relational conflict was you being an enemy of God. He reconciles that. If he can reconcile that through Christ, he can take care of you and your neighbor who doesn't like your dog. Okay? That, that's why we look back. Right? If, if you have this guilt and this shame and you failed again and you're this, God paid the, the penalty of all your sin, past, present, and future, so that you don't have to worry, am I still a son and daughter of him? You got emotional struggles and there's depression, anxiety, there's disillusionment. God, God meets all of that in the cross and the empty tomb. You got enemies. We all got them. Dallas Cowboys. All right? God made you his enemy, his son. He can deal with that. Your body is breaking down, right? Some of you faster than others, right? Arthritis, uh, cancer, whatever it is. He may bring relief, he may not. But when we look back at the, the cross in an empty tomb, that we know that we all get a new body. No knee pain, no back pain, no bald head. Maybe, maybe baldness is beautiful in heaven, I don't know. Elijah's bald or Elisha, right? But a new, we look back to look forward, right? The God who overcame death can take care of your future. So you don't have to worry about, man, what are we gonna do about this job? What are we gonna do? We gotta move again. We're getting deployed. My husband's going away for six months. God has got your future. And, and we remember, it doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but we remember so we can be thankful. I can take a breath. College tuition, take a breath. My in-laws, my in-laws are great, by the way. They go to church here, so I love my in-laws, but your in-laws are bad, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, gotta go to Thanksgiving again. God's got it. He's got it, y'all. Doesn't mean it's gonna always be easy, but that's why we look back to remember, and then we can be thankful. You know, there's something about thankful people. Thankful people are a contagious people. So, some of y'all are contagious, in fact, I get emails, I mean, people are so welcoming, so friendly to me, I'm glad they invited us to this. That's awesome, right? Complaining, whining people are not contagious. I was watching The Office the other day, because I love The Office, sorry. And if you don't know The Office, I'm sorry. Uh, this is an illustration for, for the rest of us holy people. Um, there's this guy on The Office named Toby, and Toby just annoys you, but that's, that's his role. And there's this episode when they're having a christening and, and Jim and Pam's uh, daughter, Cece, are getting christened, blah, blah, blah. And, and Toby won't go into the church. He's like, oh, you know, and then he, he won't go in. And finally, at the end of the episode, he goes into the church when everyone's gone and he stands at the altar. I guess it was a Catholic church or something. And he goes, he looks up like he's talking to God and said, why are you so mad at me? 
why do you hate me? And he's just this whiner, like his life stinks and he's just always this miserable guy, right? There's nothing, nobody likes Toby. Some Christians are Toby. Why is this, why is that? And he's just not thankful. Don't be a Toby. Don't be anybody on the office, really. <laughs> but, but definitely don't be a Toby. <laughs> right? A thankful people are a contagious, impactful people. They just are. I want to be around that guy. I want to be around that gal. They can be, they can be joyful in the middle of whatever. Right? Your kids, when there's struggles and the money's tight and, and, and stuff is going, it's hard, and they see you still have some joy, that's contagious. Don't remember that. I see you stuck on Duran, you know, ha- hanging out the window with your one-hand salute. They'll remember that, <laughs> right? And so, as, as my wife will remind me, more is caught than taught. It's just challenging. But yet, there's hope there, right? And the hope is that we remember, hey, when we fail, what do we do? We get up and we look back to what? We looked up to the cross and the empty tomb. And so what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna practice remembering. Because Jesus tells us to, and I want you to remember. And here's what I want us to do. As we celebrate the table, and, and, and some of our men and women are going to hand out the elements uh, in a few minutes here. And here's what I just want you to do. I want you to take some time to be thankful. Ethan and the team will lead us in a, in a song, and part of it will just be them singing over us. Take 30 seconds and maybe do this more this week, this will be awesome, to just sit down and write all the things that God has done that are good in your life, not just the spiritual things. Think about the physical blessings he's given you. Life, a job, friends, good weather in Savannah, right? Just things that that you could say, thank you. I want us to be a thankful people. But in this time, when we celebrate the table, just take 30 seconds, a minute, and tell them, Father, thank you. Thank you that though I was an enemy, right? Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right? That in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us with in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He lavishes his grace. This is a father who loves you. Thank him for his love. And as you hold the bread, remember the body of Christ that was pierced for you and broken for you. And as you hold the cup, remember the blood that was poured out because God loved you. And he wanted you to be with him forever. He gave you you himself as Ethan reminded us. Just remember that. So if you're a Christian, we invite you to celebrate this morning with us at this table and to remember. And then we'll sing and then we'll go. Let me pray and then we'll uh, worship in this way. Father, I thank you that you're good. I pray that we would see that you have called each one of us to be an influencer and impactor of those around us. I pray that we would see it's us. We would would move towards you, that we would remember. um, And this is just an opportunity for us to remember our Savior. And so help us to remember and be thankful to be a thankful church on mission, loving you, loving our neighbor, uh, and we'll give you the glory. In Christ's name I pray.